All right. Good evening. This is going to be a uh, evening version of driving theology, which I used to do all the time. I'd record it after I was done. But today, uh, I'm doing it because my battery ran out on the way. Take this mask off. My battery ran out on the way here this morning. So I got 16 minutes of the podcast in and then it uh, cut off. So I'm going to see if we can't get this recorded. I was able to replace the batteries today at lunch. So we should be good to go. Good to go. Traffic is pretty heavy. Well, how's everybody doing? So it's uh, November here. Today is, I believe, November 16th. Uh, And it was a lovely day. It's already dark here. It's barely 5.30, but it is pitch black. Like, I can't see even a little bit of the sunset, even though it was a a completely clear and sunny day. It is dark, dark already here in Japan. That's how it is. Uh, so what's going on with you guys? Uh, last week I spent, uh, I spent Friday night through Saturday afternoon in Tokyo. So I, uh, I haven't been able to do it for the last three years because of COVID, but I usually go to Tokyo this time of year to adjudicate a, uh, solo and ensemble festival for the international schools of Tokyo. And there's, I don't know, probably in the somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 to 400 singers in the various international schools that get together for this singing festival. And my daughters were in international schools in Tokyo, and so they uh, actually call me and allow me to adjudicate, and I have a it's really good time doing it. It's, it's fun to be in the music and to, to hear uh, a lot of... Uh, voices and meet a lot of kids and I I get to not only judge them for their song uh, and uh, we kind of hand out medals uh, but also um, we uh, get to have a mini lesson with each each uh, performer and it's not just solos so it's solos and ensembles we have uh, sometimes solos sometimes duets and trios quartets all the way up to, you know, small choruses, uh, which are usually, you know, around 12 to 15 members, something like that. And so, yeah, I got to do that. Got to adjudicate one or two kids that I know, uh, as well as a whole lot of kids I didn't. So I, I probably adjudicated for somewhere around 100 kids, is my guess. Uh, 32, 32 different um Performances, so like I said, some were small choruses. Uh, I'm gonna turn up the heat just a little bit, maybe a little extra noise until I can get warmed up. It's kind of chilly today. Today's definitely the coldest day of the year so far. Uh, it's clear and really nice. Anyway, so got to do that, and and because it started so early, I needed to be there by 8 a.m. in Tokyo. I could not find a series of trains that would get me there on time so I actually went up the night before 
or rather the afternoon before. I caught a 4 o'clock, 4 p.m. train. So after I finished classes and uh, did a little work around the house, I was able to get out by 4, catch a train, and then get to Tokyo around 6, check into my hotel, and then I went out and heard some live jazz. It was really neat because I, I kind of... Hotels are hard to come by right now. Um, I, I had it stayed at an inexpensive uh, business hotel, but they're kind of hard to come by because tourism has started up in Japan again. And uh, right now, uh, it's it's really an inexpensive place to come if you're from America, because the exchange rate uh, you get so much bang for your buck here now. So more and more tourists uh, are coming to Japan, uh, which is great for the economy here, obviously, uh, regardless of how bad the uh, exchange rate is and uh, inflation and whatnot. But anyway, so I went and <clears throat> I found a hotel that was, you know, within 30 minutes of where I had to be um, the next morning. And so once I got there, I checked in and then I looked at Google Maps and found a jazz club that was close and I, I saw who was playing and I thought they sounded interesting. Uh, it was a small combo. It was a, a piano player, a bass player, and drums. And the piano player to me looked like he might be American, so I thought it might be kind of neat to be able to go out and meet uh, meet a fellow uh, American musician if, if it were at all possible. And so... I ended up uh, going there, and I was probably there by about 7.30, about the time I got there to the uh, jazz club. I had to take a couple trains. I had to walk uh, quite a ways and then take a train, actually. Uh, it's just two stops. And it ended up going to this jazz club, and I met this piano player named, named uh, Tony Suggs, and he's been in Japan for a little while, maybe 10, 13 years, something like that. I don't remember exactly, maybe 15 years. But it come it it turns out that he's from the St. Louis area. I'm from the St. Louis area. I'm from St. Charles, which is just across the river uh, from St. Louis County. Uh, it's the county next to St. Louis on the northwest side of St. Louis. And then he's from East St. Louis, which is just across the Mississippi River. Uh, into Illinois, but it's still the same metropolitan area, uh, sort of like, you know, other places that have uh, one city, but into it's sort of like Newark, Newark, New Jersey, and New York City. They're right next to each other, and they, you know, people might live in one and work in the other. It's quite normal that that would be the case. Sorry, I got a little bit of the sniffles. I think allergies are kind of hitting me today. Maybe it's just because I'm cold. Anyway, so I was able to uh, go there and uh, heard a few sets, and it was great, and and uh, it it was really wonderful to see such a, uh, a small uh, group that is kind of the size of the group that I'm I'm getting together now, uh, and that's why I chose this group. I thought it was really close to what I was doing, and maybe I could learn something watching them perform, and I. I I certainly witnessed a lot, not like what I learned exactly, I'm not sure yet. Um, but seeing these professionals uh, perform really does uh, show you what's possible, you know, when 
like three people to get get together and the interesting thing was that they they got together just for that gig like two of them had performed together before in another group earlier that year but this this group that was the first time they had ever gotten together and the only time they ever made a sound together was right before they actually started they had a sound check and they uh they uh <clears throat> you know probably played a little while they were just checking checking uh the instruments they were playing and and you know how the mic settings were and all that stuff but they had not decided what they were playing they just showed up had their charts and they all just went for it and you know the fact that jazz musicians can do that is just so incredibly impressive i don't even know uh what to say about that like of course you know in the classical world let's say you have a, a an accompanist and a vocalist sure they can they can get together and do do pieces that they've done before and there is some interplay between them but but there's so much that's decided in a classical setting right the exact music that's played the the way it's going to be played the key there's so much that's decided and is is sorry about that that's a bolsozoku motorcycle gang guy that just went by so some of that so, so much of that's it's decided there's not a lot left to um interpretation i mean there's some interpretation for example uh sometimes there's high notes in opera for example that you may or may not take uh there's some runs uh and and so yeah to a certain extent that can also happen with classical musicians um but the amount of music that is created on the spot in jazz is just so incredibly impressive you know it's just it's just really impressive they they are listening to the music they're listening to what e- each other is doing and then they're they're being inspired by one another and trying to take things farther and 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 try new things and and you know discover discover places if you will in the music that that maybe nobody's ever discovered before and maybe you'll never play again you know maybe that one time that you do it live is the time uh when it when it lived the most you know and I, i've gone into what i think about jazz and all my all of my you know process on how i'm trying to understand exactly what jazz is and, and my my quest for authentic jazz experience whatever that means uh, on my level so anyway i got got to hear some jazz and got to have conversations with a really neat guy uh, and and uh, yeah it was a really cool experience and then the next morning uh, went back and uh, did the uh, singing contest and then went home and then that sunday uh, i actually got together with my new group for the first time the bass player and the piano player and i'm i'm the vocalist and we had a rehearsal, which went pretty well too. So anyway, that was my weekend. Uh, other than that, it was you know, same old, same old, uh, you know, same schedule as usual. Now today, I do have something I wanted to talk about. Um, something, a topic came up last night. I actually thought last night about what I wanted to talk about, and it came up last night because me and my wife have been watching. Uh, the series Grey's Anatomy, uh, 
uh, and where I think we're in like season 14, I think there's like like 18, a ridiculous number of seasons of Grey's Anatomy. I think we're somewhere in there. Um, but there's this character named April who is a goody-two-shoes. She's uh, a Christian girl. She's very devout. She's very serious. She, she studies and knows the Bible. Uh, she tries to do everything right and to think everything right and believe everything right. She's very serious about her Christianity. Uh, and yet... As the series has progressed, she has been challenged in her faith many times. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, she had a baby who died uh, prematurely of a horrible disease. Excuse me. Uh, she married an atheist, <laughs> uh, which didn't help. She married an atheist. She... Uh, a lot of other things happened. She actually ended up getting divorced. Uh, but as a as a doctor, she's a surgeon. Grey's Anatomy is set in a in a hospital, uh, specifically in a surgery uh, uh, ward, I guess you'd say. And they're all surgeons. Um, her faith uh, recently was tested, um, and her faith failed, like she finally lost faith. And what she lost faith in was not the existence of God, but uh, in the intentions of God, like the character of God. She, I think she still believed that God existed, but she just disagreed with the way that he was managing the world. I guess there's one way to, that's, that's one way to put that. That she wasn't atheist, she was more anti-theist, right? Uh, she believes that that God has been negligent in his duties as creator uh, and maintainer. Uh, and the reason she, she came to this conclusion is that she lost a couple patients in the same day. One was a boy who, who was trying to get back into his own home after he forgot his key. He was a black boy. He was shot and, and later died in the hospital under her care. Uh, he was shot by the police because they, they thought he was breaking in the house and he was actually just trying to get into his own house because he lost his, he forgot his key. And so he was shot and killed and that was one thing. And then I think the same day a, a pregnant mother came in who everything seemed normal, but by the, you know, by the time uh, her, her, whatever was wrong with her progressed, she ended up dying even though the baby lived. Uh, and that was somebody she knew, actually. She she knew um, the guy uh, who that happened to. He, he was her ex-fiance, who she left at the altar for. I know this is very dramatic. Grey's Anatomy, if you don't know, is basically a soap opera that happens in prime time. Uh, and I'd say it's a little, it's quite a bit better quality than most soap operas are. Um, so anyway. She lost her faith, and so my my wife, uh, to a greater extent, and 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 I both have had our faith challenged, and so we were watching this, and and I paused and just asked her, you know, what do you, 
what do you think of her assessment that God, God is negligent, that God, for whatever reason, uh, allows bad things to happen to good people and uh, good things happen to bad people and that there seems to be no rhyme or reason in the world and that everything seems to be random. And so we started having this conversation about how April was processing all of this and she was angry with God. She was, she was mad at God. She believed that, that God was letting down humanity, uh, and not doing his job. Right. Uh, and I think, I think my wife certainly got to that point at one time in her life, at least one time. And so I wanted to use it as a kind of a, you know, just a thought experiment. You know, how, how do you think now? What do you think about what she's going through? And, and you know, so that's where I got the idea for, for talking about this today. There have been some famous anti-theists. Uh, one, I believe, was Christopher Hitchens, who he, he never really worried about whether God existed or not. He said he didn't know. But he said, if God does exist, uh, I hate him. I don't like him or I disagree with him or I think he's I don't think he's good, right? That's what that's what Christopher Hitchens, the famous uh, famous atheist would have said that uh, you know, if God does exist then then you know, he's not good. And that, and that's how Christopher Hitchens uh, came to his conclusion and it's because of all of the uh, all of the pain in the world, right? There is a great amount of pain and suffering in the world, and it seems that God sometimes doesn't care, uh, and there seems to be no rhyme or reason uh, to why it happens. Uh, And it seems that there is no meaning in the world because of that dynamic, right? That sometimes good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. and so anti-theism is not new, right? This idea of anti-theism. I, I think probably if we dug deep enough, we'd find other philosophers that had a very similar kind of outlook. Uh, and probably artists as well. And so what I noticed was that this, this disagreement, this dissonance with God in this character April came from the fact that she had a very specific paradigm of who she thinks God is, right? And the funny thing is, this this paradigm, which I believe is completely wrong, right? This paradigm she had. This is the same paradigm that, that atheists and cri- critics of Christianity seem to believe is the norm. That it's it's, it's the paradigm that all Christians believe. And that is that God is in control. God is in control, right? That nothing happens that he doesn't okay, right? Uh, nothing gets by him. Uh, nothing happens on accident. Uh, everything that happens, God has to okay it, right? That he is, he is hypervigilant in the world, that everything... Uh, he notices every single thing that happens, and and he has the power to stop all the bad things from happening, and yet he chooses not to. 
<coughs> this is the paradigm uh, that, that most people who don't believe in God think Christians believe in. Uh, and this is the one that the writers of Grey's Anatomy decided to use, and, and they had April kind of live up to that paradigm. They, they created April's character based on this paradigm. Well, for one problem is that this paradigm is a bit of a straw man, right? I don't know, like, I'd have to think about who I was. Um... Oh, excuse me. This late day, late day drive back site, I yawned a little bit. I'd have to think of who I was before my, you know, theology kind of progressed. Uh, the theology that was given to me. I don't, I'm not sure what my paradigm would have been. I would not have disagreed with people saying that God is in control. Probably what I would have said when, when bad things happen, you know, when babies have cancer or, you know, when obvious uh, obviously pure and innocent are, are killed or, or suffer, I probably would have said that, well, you know, God is, God is God and we are not, uh, therefore we can't see all of the ins and outs that's going on with all of that. And we have to just trust God, right? That's what faith is for. Faith, faith is, is to, to, to make our life easier, right? So that we don't have this cognitive dissonance uh, that we would have if we tried to keep God accountable for all of the suffering in the world. Because there is a lot of suffering in the world. Let's just face it. Some people say life is suffering, but that's what life is. I think, I think life has suffering. I think life is more than suffering. But I certainly don't deny that there is a lot of suffering in life. And some people seem to get much more than their share. Much more than they could ever deserve. Um, and I say deserve as if I believed in a certain paradigm. Right? Uh, this straw man, straw man paradigm that I'm talking about. Um... Yeah, it, it's reasonable, right? It's reasonable that when faced with great suffering and you have a certain paradigm that you would question God. And, and I think God welcomes that questioning because I think through that questioning, uh, I think that that is the path to greater understanding and a more robust theology. I think through questioning God, uh, and specifically in the subject of, of pain and suffering, uh, the problem of suffering as it's called, I think that's a specific place that we should question God. Uh, and I think it leads to a much greater understanding of what is going on in the world and just, just what suffering actually is uh, and its place in the, in the great scheme of things, right? And I've talked about this before. This is not the first time. I'm uh, just using this, uh, this uh, show as kind of a springboard to get back into this subject. Because it is one of the, the, one of the bigger subjects. It's one of the more difficult things to, to wrap your head around, right?
Uh, and throughout this episode of Grey's Anatomy, uh, April, she keeps referring back to all the people who suffered. You know, Job is the big one, right? And the thing is, she refers to Job as if Job actually lived, as if he was an actual historical character and that all these things actually happened to him. But the problem with that is just a little bit of, of literary criticism will bring you to the conclusion that Job is written in a kind of form, a kind of genre. Uh, and it's, it's written sort of in the genre of uh, epic uh, and epic poetry specifically and it it would be something like you know Gilgamesh or other fictional tales that were written in order to uh, get across a certain moral or idea or something like that so it's certainly not to be taken literally right now, that's not to say that there aren't people who have had uh, Job-like experiences in this life. I remember a family in a church that I went to where uh, the wife came down with really bad cancer, kids got sick, the father died, uh, just, just thing after thing after thing happened to this family. And what I remember is that Eventually, the family lost their faith. They just, they were crushed to the point where the paradigm that they had of God was no longer tenable with the actual experience they had with God. And by God, I mean life, right? Uh, but because their paradigm did not allow for uh, all of the suffering in the world, uh, it had no answer for that. Um, they were crushed. The, the cognitive dis dissonance became too great, right? It could not survive. Uh, and so what happens with April is that she meets a rabbi. So there's a, a Jewish rabbi who comes into the hospital and uh, April has been spiraling out of control for weeks. She's been binge drinking. She's been partying. Uh, she's been promiscuous, right? Having sex with multiple partners. Uh, she is basically on a self-destructive uh, bent, if you will. And, and this is when the rabbi comes. Of course, she's able to work, but she's, she's obviously disturbed, right? There's something wrong with her. And the, the rabbi comes in with a very grave illness. He's got a, an allergic reaction that's been going on for weeks to a medication that he was given. Uh, and it's basically killing him at this point. He's in severe pain. His skin is, is flaking off, right? It's just coming off. It's like he's got burns all over his body, like severe burns, but they're from an allergic reaction. It's like one of the worst ways 
I can't imagine anybody dying like that. It's just horrible, horrible. And he's in a lot of pain. But he's a rabbi, right? He's a he's a religious teacher, and and he's he notices that April is really struggling, and and of course April sees this religious man come in with this horrible disease, and and she's just triggered all over again, right? Triggered to believe that that God is is negligent in his duties. He's absent. Uh, absent at the wheel, is that what we say? Uh, he's allowing the world to run uh, free and random, right? Uh, and, and But he notices that she's having a problem with his pain, and he decides that he's going to help her. So he asks her questions. And, and basically, he's, you know, he's dying. This guy does not have a lot of time. In fact, he dies probably 10 minutes after this conversation starts. But what he says is, and, and what he said was really, um, I think on one level, uh, it may have been quite astute. Uh, so I want to think about that. So what he said was, you know, you're you're worrying you're worrying about why God is not alleviating all the suffering in the world. Uh, and basically, what it says is maybe God's wondering why why we're not trying to alleviate more of the suffering in the world. Maybe the world is just broken, and we're here to help fix it. Maybe that's why we're here. Maybe that's just the nature of the earth. Maybe that's the nature of things. That's just how the world is. And the way God works is through us to bring healing and peace and justice to the world. And he says, and maybe it's just not our lot to know all of the ins and outs of why things happen the way they happen. Maybe that's not our place to know that. Maybe we're just supposed to be doing what we can to reverse that. So basically he says the world is broken and that's just how it is. Uh, but we, uh, you know, we can make it better. We can do better in our context, you know, where we are. We can all help alleviate somebody's suffering. We can all help bring justice to the oppressed. You know, we can set the captives free. Uh, we can feed the hungry. We can do all these things. You know? uh, and so in one sense, he, he says, you know, I, I like his first thing. The world's broken. We are the ones that God has... Uh, appointed to fix it, right? That's our job. That's why we're here. That's the whole purpose of our our place on earth. But the other thing that he says that it, maybe it's not our place to know. I'm glad he said maybe. You know, that's something, I suppose. Um, but yes, on one in one sense, this can be a kind of a humble thing to say. Like, well, I just don't know, and maybe we're not capable of knowing. Maybe. You know, maybe God is God and we can just never know these things because our brain's too small. Now, again, the maybe is a good thing to put there because 
the other thing that can happen in these kinds of things is I'm just too lazy to try to figure out. I, 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 I don't have hope that we will ever know. And I think that's a kind of an intellectual laziness and even a spiritual laziness. I think we can know a lot more than we give ourselves credit for. Um, again, I'm glad he put the maybe there, but but there is a balance, right? We should we should not be satisfied with the fact that we don't know, all right? Um, because there's too much to be gained by knowing more about why things happen the way they happen, why the world is the way it is. Um, there's just so much to be gained by that kind of knowledge. And it's a good thing. And the other thing is, I, I believe that the evidence points to the fact that God actually wants to be known. God is not, not a God who wants to remain a mystery. God is a God who wants to be known by his children. And I think all of the evidence points to that. I think nature points to that. And I think mankind is on a trajectory to know God better and better, whether it's through science, religion, philosophy, uh, what have you. I think, I think that's what's going on in the world. We are learning more and more about God. And maybe we haven't put two and two together yet. You know, there, there's a lot that we haven't figured out, and maybe we're not communicating across disciplines as well as we could. But I actually think that's kind of what's going on with the progression of science and psychology, uh, religion, um, all of these things, right? Uh, again, I said philosophy. Um, uh, all of this stuff, if you think about it, the more we learn about the natural world, the more we're learning about the creator of the natural world. Right? The more we're learning about the person who created the natural world. Um, and, and the other thing is, I think Jesus gave us a lot, a lot to go on as far as who God is. Uh, I think the character of Jesus uh, would dictate how we see the things in the world. For example, for example, knowing who Jesus is, when a, an innocent baby suffers... Innocent, innocent baby is in pain. I know that Jesus is suffering, that God is suffering too. I know that God suffers with us, and I know he doesn't want us to suffer. I know it pains him much more than it pains me when seeing all of the injustice in the world, when seeing innocents being killed or, or tortured and I will put a caveat in there. I think everybody's innocent in that way. I think anybody's suffering. Uh, I think everybody's suffering is sad to God. I, I think that Jesus and his character teaches us that the very nature of God is to... is opposite of suffering. Suffering is not what God is all about or what he wants at all. Uh, I think that's obvious in the person that we, we find Jesus to be. 
might take some time to find that Jesus. I don't think it's necessarily, uh, you know, you're not going to open the Bible and find the bio, a one-page bio of Jesus. You know, you can't ascertain his character that way. Uh, but I think if you look at who Jesus shows himself to be, his very character, right? Um, I think we can know to a pretty high degree uh, how God feels and thinks about all of the various problems that we find in the world. And I can tell you, he is, he is for life. He is for peace. He is for justice. He is for love. He is for mercy. He is for healing. He is for comfort. And he's against all the other things. And so the fact that all those other things exist tells me that something else must be going on that we don't understand. And it's the same way, you know, if, if, I, if I know somebody and they are a, a, a person, of course, that... Oh, see, could have fallen down. It came loose. Sorry, that's probably loud. If that person is a, you know, has a certain character and then they do something out of character, well, there's, there's only a few things I can come up with. If, if somebody does something out of character, there's something that has happened that I don't understand. Right? Or I don't understand their character as well as I think I did. Right? Those are the two, two options. Uh, and I think, I think Jesus' sacrifice, right? What Jesus put himself, put himself through, uh, his, his willingness to, to go to the cross and to allow violence to take his life for us, uh, I think that rules out a, a poor character, right? He's willing to sacrifice everything, even up to his life. So character-wise, he has earned, um, what is the word? What is that word? Moral, something about moral power, moral position, moral, moral, <laughs> it's not moral majority, I can't remember. Uh, moral authority, he has moral authority because of the way he has sacrificed for mankind. Uh, whether that is while he was living or in his death, uh, we can we can ascertain that his character is of the highest standard by the way that he lived. Right. So, if you take that back to the problem of suffering, when 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 bad things happen in the world, and you put that next to the character of Jesus. We know that Jesus would do and does do everything possible to alleviate the suffering of the world. And he never creates it. Okay? And so if there is suffering in the world, then there's something that we don't understand about what's going on. There's a missing piece, right? There's something that we're not getting. Uh, and it it's not in the character of God. That's where I come down. It's not in the character of God. It's in our lack of scope and perspective, I think. Um, God, the creator God, uh, Jesus is 
against suffering. He's for life. I just said he's for all those things, right? He's not for suffering at all in any way, shape, or form. So there's something that's that's going on. And I think one of the things that might be going on is that, again, we're back to the broken world. The world is broken. The world has been enticed and led away by sin in all its forms. And in doing so, it it has gone away from God. It has, it has asked God by its own actions, right, to leave us alone, to let us do what we want, right? It's sort of like the, the parent who warns the teenage child, you know, don't don't drink and drive. Do not do not go out and drink and drive. You know, you're going to regret it. Bad things happen. People get hurt. Uh, and yet, gives them the key to the car. You know, I've warned you. I've done all I can to, to tell you. Uh, but now you're going to have to learn the big lessons of life yourself. I'm going to trust you to go out. And, and, and you're probably going to make some mistakes. Uh, and I'll still be here. You know, even if you make mistakes, I'll still be here for you. Um, but unless you make those mistakes, you're never going to learn the lessons yourself. You're just going to be following rules. And so, you know, maybe the teenage go, teenager goes out, has one too many drinks and wrecks the car and now has no car to drive. Well, that's a hard lesson to learn. Uh, there is suffering in that lesson. Uh, but basically, you know, the parent did everything they could uh, and still allow the kids free will to make their own mistakes. Uh, and I think, I, I do think this, I think one thing we do learn from Job, uh, and we only learn it because it's a fairy tale, but I think, I think that fairy tale in this sense is true, that God is going to make uh, our reward greater than all the suffering we've ever experienced or caused. I believe that. Uh, I believe that not because we deserve it, uh, but because God's character is such uh, that he gives mercy. Uh, he is merciful. He's, he, that's just what he does. That's who he is. And so all the suffering that we have we experience in this life, uh, one day will be nothing in comparison uh, to the joy we will experience in the next. And I think that's the promise that Paul uh, Paul says, right? Uh, that in no way our present suffering will be greater than uh, our reward one day. And I hope that, you know, we, we live in such a way that, that we begin to experience those rewards here and now, you know, even, even in little ways, uh, that we're able to experience greater, um, what are you doing, dude? Greater, uh, relationships and, uh, greater, um, peace and suffering and wholeness and wellness, right? Because we take care of others, right? 
Um, so yeah, I'm just about home. I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, but yeah, that, that's my take on the problem of suffering uh, as prompted by Grey's Anatomy and the character of April. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'd love to know what you guys think about that. Have a good evening. Bye-bye.